Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my room leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has, be, who has believed that the Lord would fulfil his promise to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. Christmas is a time for music. You hear Christmas songs perhaps in your office foyer. You hear Christmas songs in your favourite cafe. You hear Christmas songs in the supermarket and you hear Christmas songs on the radio station. Some people love Christmas songs because for a few short weeks, Christmas songs seems to unify the world. For others, Christmas songs drive them mad because most Christmas songs are just sentimental, sappy and cheesy. In our new sermon series, uh, Over Advent, Songs of Christmas, we're going to look at the first four Christmas songs in history which is found in the Gospel of Luke. Mary, Zechariah, the angels and Simeon have left for us four of the most beautiful, worship-moving Christmas songs ever written about the birth of Jesus. These four songs are recorded in the Gospel of Luke and it's actually a very unique feature of Luke's account of the birth of Jesus. So let's compare how each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, John, Luke, differ in the way they emphasise the significance of Jesus' birth to increase our Bible knowledge and to appreciate the uniqueness of the four Christmas songs in Luke's Gospel. So in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's account begins with a genealogy, if you're familiar with Matthew's Gospel demonstrating how the birth of Jesus is the fulfilment of God's promise made in history. And so Matthew's Gospel tells us that the story of Christmas is rooted in history. Jesus is not a fairy tale, nor a legend. He's a real person rooted in history. That is what Matthew is emphasizing in his Gospel. When you turn to Mark's Gospel, you'll notice that Mark actually skips the birth of Jesus and starts with Jesus proclaiming the good news of God. He records Jesus saying, The time has come, Jesus said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe 
in the good news. Mark tells us that the story of Christmas requires our repentance. We cannot properly celebrate the good news of the birth of our Saviour without acknowledging the bad news about the reality of our sin. We can't acknowledge Jesus as our Saviour without acknowledging our need to be saved. John doesn't begin with the history of Israel or the birth of Jesus. John starts with in the beginning. The beginning of what? Well, the beginning of everything. In the beginning, Jesus was God and Jesus is God. John starts with the Trinity, the eternal relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the unique Son of God who came into the world so that you and I can become children of God as well. According to John, the story of Christmas restores our relationship. Now, when we turn to Luke, as we look at the songs sung about the birth of Jesus, you will now see how striking Luke's attention to detail is, is focused on the worship that surrounds the birth of Jesus. Already in the very first few chapters, we see songs. And today we're going to look at Mary's song, which is the first, you can say, first Christmas carol. Luke could have simply said that Mary worshipped God and kept the narrative moving forward on actions and events. Instead, Luke records for us in painstakingly detail on how Mary expressed her worship. The exact verses are recorded of her song in what is now known as the Magnificat. Based on the first verse of the song, my soul glorifies or my soul magnifies the Lord. Luke tells us that the story of Christmas invites us into worship. Much like the Psalms of the Old Testament, these Christmas songs in Luke's Gospel are not given to simply inform us of the past events, but the songs invite us to join in their worship of Jesus. When all the facts about the birth of Jesus are considered, we are drawn to discover that the Christmas story is not only true, but also glorious and magnificent to lead us into the worship of Jesus. Today we're going to be led into worship through Mary's Magnificat. And it's not sappy and sentimental at all. Mary's song is rich and deep in the truth about the significance of Jesus. This is the most unsentimental carol you're going to find. We're not going to be led into worship because Jesus is warm and cozy like a hot cup of hot chocolate in front of a fireplace. No, we're led into worship because Jesus is the mighty one who lifts up the humble but scatters the proud. But before we look at what Mary sings about, we're going to start with knowing about what led Mary to sing. What happened that made Mary burst into praise and exaltation? And we read about the story of what happened from verses 39 to 45. The context of the story was that an angel came to see Mary and tells her in verse 31, if you jump a bit further in the verse, verse 31, it says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high, the angel says to Mary. And this is obviously an incredible 
an overwhelming promise for Mary to comprehend. And she says at the very end, verse 38, the verse before the story begins, she says, I am the Lord's servant. Even though she gets this incredible, almost uncomprehensible promise, she submits to God's will. For her to conceive Jesus, the Son of God, it's courageous. It's amazing. But you could probably sense that the tone of those words is quite somber, isn't it? Because I am the Lord's servant has a humble, submissive tone. You don't really sense there's any real joy. And that's actually really realistic. She and Joseph are not well off. And now she knows that she is going to be an unwed mother. She will have a child before she's married. And in that culture of her time, her life is essentially ruined socially. But she submits with a somber response rather than a joyful one. And there's really nothing wrong with that. Sometimes you can say, look, I'm going to do the right thing. I don't understand why it's so hard. I'm just going to obey and trust God. And that is totally fine. That was Mary's response. And the angels didn't rebuke her or challenge her. But then Mary goes off to see her cousin Elizabeth. Because the angel also told Mary that Elizabeth was also going to conceive a child. And so she goes and hurries off to see Elizabeth. And as soon as she comes, Elizabeth, hearing Mary's greeting, Elizabeth is suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 we read, suddenly the Holy Spirit gives Elizabeth a tremendous power of perception and insight. And in a loud voice she exclaimed, verse 42, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth is excited that Mary would bear the Saviour. She is absolutely thrilled that God would look favourably and graciously on Mary to be chosen to bear the Saviour. And that is what hits Mary. Only then, with Elizabeth's perspective by the illumination of the Holy Spirit, that Mary is struck by God's amazing favour and grace upon her. Mary was a nobody socially. She was the poorest of poor. They were nobodies, and now she was pregnant outside of wedlock. She was really a nobody. But Elizabeth shows to her the blessing and honour that God has bestowed upon her to deliver the deliverer of salvation. And so with Elizabeth's words of encouragement, the penny drops for Mary. It it comes all together. She gets it now. And her surrender and obedience is now accompanied with joy because the clarity that she has gained about the grace of God through the help of Elizabeth. She's now released to worship and to begin to sing the first Christmas carol. But before we dive into the lyrics of Mary's song, We've got to ask ourselves, what can we learn about this little story about what led up to the singing? Well, what can we learn is very practical. What we learn is that we need fellowship. We need community. 
Mary doesn't break into joy by sitting alone, mulling over what the angel said to her. Mary doesn't really understand. She doesn't really see. She doesn't break into joy until she gets into fellowship with another sister in Christ. What we can learn is that we find a deeper understanding of our Lord Jesus and his plan and his will mainly in community. This is a wonderful moment between Mary and Elizabeth and it's a beautiful picture of community groups. It's a beautiful picture of fellowship. We come together, we eat together, we talk about what God means to us together and the pieces of the puzzles come together. You want to experience the miraculous and the profound? Well, it happens in community groups every week. Even after a rough week, we make our way to community groups because only together we will see Jesus more and more truly. Because your brothers and sisters, from their vantage points, from their perspectives, from the work of the Holy Spirit in their life, together we can see the glory of Christ that we may not see alone. Can you imagine what would happen if Mary said, look, I just want to be alone? But she didn't. What did she do? We read that she hurried to see Elizabeth. She hurried. Look, there's a a popular Christian book that's hot off the press at the moment, and it's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, How to Stay Emotionally Healthy and Spiritually Alive in the Chaos of the Modern World. And I want to say it looks like a great book. I actually want to read it. But I want to piggyback off the title and the success and write my own book with this title, The Ruthless Encouragement of Hurrying to Community Groups, How to Enlarge Your Knowledge and Worship of God in the Isolation of the Modern World. And even if I don't get my book published, I'm guessing our church lawyers at head office might have a few issues, but next year I will continue to be ruthlessly encouraging all of us to hurry ourselves into healthy and thriving community groups. I'm going to be ruthless to encourage all of us to hurry, to gather, to church, together. Why am I going to be ruthless about encouraging us to be in community, to be meeting regularly with each other, in groups, in one-to-one, because of this beautiful little story about Mary and Elizabeth. We know God and ourselves best in community. We know God and ourselves best in community. So now let's see what Mary sings about. To break it up, we see that she sings a little bit about me, then she sings mainly about he. From verses 46 to 49, you'll notice you'll get a lot of me's and my's. Then from verses 50 to 55, it's all about he's. Mary starts by seeing a little bit about herself. Verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my saviour. What we learn about Christianity in the way Mary expresses herself 
is that herself and her whole life is taken up by Jesus Christ. When she says her soul and her spirit glorifies and rejoices in God, what is happening is that she is being changed by the message of Jesus to her very center, right to the very depths of herself. She doesn't say, I sense an improvement or I discovered a new method. Instead, she says, my soul and my spirit has been moved and changed to my depths. And what that means is that you don't add God to your life. Jesus Christ is not like a supplementary vitamin. You don't add Jesus Christ like you add a gym class or add a hobby or add a course into your life as a way of improvement. Christianity is not a supplementary to your life. Christianity is a complete revolution and reorientation of your life. And so what is it about Jesus that brings on this complete revolution and reorientation? It's verse 48. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. It's the favor and grace of Jesus given to someone who is lowly, humble, insignificant, like Mary. Mary transformed to be a worshiper of Jesus because he looked upon her slow social state and yet in love let her bear Jesus the Savior. And all generations will look upon her and bless her because she is an example of one graced by God. She is a sign of what God will do for others in the same lowly state. Mary's completely transformed from the inside out because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is that you're saved by grace, not saved by being a good person. The gospel is not that God shows his favor to the good and rejects the bad. The gospel shows grace to the humble and rejects the proud. Because this is the very nature of Jesus Christ, which Mary goes on to sing a lot about. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. 51, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. Jesus will be merciful for those who fear him, for those who revere him, but he will scatter those who are proud and don't see the need for his salvation. He'll bring down rulers, but he will lift up the humble. He'll provide good things for the poor, but he will empty the rich. Jesus is the kind of saviour who will gather those who are scattered. If you say, my life is in pieces, I've messed up, he will gather you and he will lift you up. But if you say, I've got my life together, well, he will scatter you. Those of you who are humble and are willing to admit your sin, God will lift you up. But those of you who are proud and think that you've got it all together, God will scatter you. What Mary's saying is that salvation is a supernatural act of grace by God. Religion says the good people, they're the ones that get to be with God, not the bad ones. Christianity says the nicest and most decent people are as every bit as lost as the prostitutes and lowlife of this world. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel shows us that the poor are no worse than anyone else 
and it shows the middle class and the upper class that they are no better. This carol is not sentimental at all. The gospel lifts up the poor and it knocks down the professionals. The gospel shows us that the poor are no worse than anyone else and the rich and the middle class, well, they're not any better. And the last thing Mary says is verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham, his descendants forever, just as he has promised our ancestors. God has promised salvation to Abraham, which was 2,000 years ago. Now, Mary says, this promise is being fulfilled in the coming of Jesus in Mary's belly. And we know Jesus grew up and ultimately showed of his power, show of his powerful humility by dying on the cross for us so that by the cross, the poor are not worse than anyone and the rich are not any better because we are all sinners before Christ. Yet by Christ's death and resurrection, he offers us grace and favour. Grace and favour. May we continue to be led in worship as we sincerely open our hearts to the significance of the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for our church community. We thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ whom we can have the privilege and freedom to meet. Father, my heart aches for those under persecution who are in hiding, who are isolated, who have to fight to gather. Father, change our hearts to see how rich and how privileged we are that we can openly gather here on Darling Street in this place, in this building, which you have blessed us with. Let us hurry, hurry to see one another because together we see Christ more clearly and together we can encourage each other's hearts and soul more powerfully. Father, we thank you for humbling us, to showing us our sin. Father, thank you for the gift of conviction, for it is only by our humble and lowly state will we ever reach out to our Saviour. And we thank you that he took the first step to grab us, to reach us, to love us, to pour out his love, mercy and grace. What are we, who are we, that you would choose us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.